Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. to episode 359 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you in a bit of a different time slot than usual. It is actually late into the evening on Saturday, July 23rd, after the Braves won yet again on this evening over the Angels. And I am joined, as often, by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. Hey, Brad. Good to be on with you, my friend. It's been a little while, and and the team is just rolling, as we know and as we've seen over the last two months, I believe they have the best record in the league and a really nice start coming out of the all-star break. You always worry about a little bit of a slow start after a couple of days off, but they have uh, they've done a really nice job against the Angels. And as of recording, they are half a game back of the New York Mets, uh, which is the closest they have been as they have made this comeback. They have made up 10 full games in the standings now, which is really remarkable in less than two months time. Yeah, 10 games in about eight weeks, just a, a crazy run, 35 and 11 since June 1st. Uh, as you mentioned, best record in baseball. And I did, I'll do a couple, a couple of plugs here at the top. I did a solo podcast uh, last week, kind of running through what the end of the first half looked like with some stats on that and also looking ahead of the second half. And they, of course, come out of the gate and win their first two games. So they have been absolutely rolling. Um, this podcast headline will probably be something including uh, the fact that they've been red hot uh, this summer, and that's going to continue. We'll get into sort of the look ahead later on in the show, as we often do, but um, that is certainly still the headline of what's going on here. They win uh, pretty convincingly back-to-back nights against, you know, a pretty bad Angels team, to be fair, but still, you got to win the games in front of you, and they went out and did that. Um, there's some news to hit on, some uh, injury updates. There's some minor draft stuff to hit on, and I will just say here at the top, our, uh, our Road to Atlanta crew here on the Battery Power Podcast Network was awesome over the last week. Eric and Matt and uh, and everybody basically across the, across the board, Garrett, um, did a great job. There were, I think, four episodes of Road to Atlanta during the, during, during the MLB draft. Uh, that is wild stuff, breaking down all of it. You and I will probably add a few thoughts here later on the show, but uh, I have to shout those guys out as well as Sean Coleman and the entire podcast network. And by the way, if you're not subscribed to the show, even if you don't like me, uh, subscribe to the podcast network. It's mostly not me these days. Um, it's it's Sean, it's Eric, it's Chris, it's Steven, it's of course Scott and Eric, etc. And uh, we really appreciate all the support. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a while, Scott. I haven't even had to call you in like two weeks, and it's still been busy. Yeah, no. To, to tip my cap to the minor league team, they recorded a podcast at one thirty in the morning after the first night of the draft. I mean, sure that, that some some dedication to the cause. They do such great work. I think as Braves fans as a whole. We're very lucky to have them, and they're so tuned into the minor league system. So a a tip of the cap to Eric and the team. Uh, And, yeah, check those out. And, yeah, I mean, it was – I am not the – I think with the MLB draft, maybe this is our segue in. It's such an interesting 
thing. It, you know, like, like the NBA and the NFL drafts have become like these spectacles, these oh, events, yeah. there's days and days of hype. And, and naturally it's because people at home have watched these guys for one to four years on college football Saturdays or in, uh, you know, March Madness or whatever it may be. And then you have the baseball draft where unless you are you know, a player on a high profile team that maybe makes a run to the college world series um, or, or just follow college baseball closely. And I just don't think there's as obviously there's not as big of a fan base for it. Um, you know, it's, it's just such an interesting, different dynamic from all the other professional sports. And um, you know, it, with the draft, it really is the ultimate wait and see, uh, see how these guys pan out. Inevitably, there's a kid who was taken in the middle rounds that's going to end up being really good. And inevitably, there'll be, you know, what what's the likelihood of making the majors if you're a first round pick, like 15% or something crazy like that? I mean, it really is the ultimate crapshoot. Yeah, and clearly you and I are not the experts on the baseball draft. The Braves did a little bit different of approach this time around. They made the Drew Waters trade and then went high school arms this time around, which is a little bit of a departure. What they've done in recent years, they also spent a very large bonus on their seventh round pick, which broke over the weekend. Um, as part of that, you sort of, you know, part of the strategy, part of what makes it uh, almost difficult to follow is that you have this bonus pool system now where like it really is a strategy rather than just picking the best guy. And, you know, in the baseball, sorry, in the NFL draft or basketball draft, you just take the best player in a lot of ways, or at least the guy you think is the best player in baseball. It really isn't always that way. Like a lot of the better talents don't go in the first round because they slide for money reasons or whatever. It's a very complicated thing. And you and I know enough to be dangerous, let's say, but uh, this is why we rely on the folks that know this stuff much better than we do, but we can tell you the names and stuff like that. I do have to ask you, uh, Scott, before we move on from the draft, um, I did a little bit of a mini rant on this on the solo podcast, but for anybody that, that did not listen to that, um, I kind of did my little spiel on how much I hate the schedule, the way that baseball has been doing this. Um, I particularly focused on the, on the futures game, which took place on a Saturday in the middle of live MLB action. There was a full slate of games happening at the same time. So if you like your team, you're going to watch your team, not the futures game. It's just like a terrible marketing. It's also on Peacock, which nobody has. It was just a disastrous rollout. And that was before you even get into the fact that the all-star, the all-star break happened during the draft. You already mentioned how late they had to record that podcast on, on that Sunday night because the draft went on so long. I don't know what to do. I don't have the perfect fix for it, but I can tell you this. It's a continuation of baseball being very silly in how they market things and uh, having the draft at a bad time, futures getting a bad time, et cetera. It's just kind of a mess, like almost always. It is, man. Like Major League Baseball needs a firm to come in and just do like common sense, right? (laughs) So much of these things they do that are just so silly. We talked a minute ago about how the, the two drafts in the NFL and the NBA have become these giant spectacles. And then, you know, the, the Braves, the world series champion, Atlanta Braves, probably a top five fan base and following across the sport made their first round pick at 10 30 Eastern on a Sunday night. Like what, what the, the, like, New York, yeah. the New York Yankees who are, what maybe the second biggest sports brand in American professional sports, maybe the biggest, maybe third, fourth, whatever it is, the New York Yankees made their pick at, at midnight. Like what you imagine if the Dallas Cowboys made their, <laughs> their first round pick at midnight on a Sunday night. I mean, it's just, it's craziness. I, I don't get it, man. Uh, you know, if you're a diehard, I think you follow, I'm guessing major league baseball wants the exclusive slot on ESPN on Sunday night, but like, if nobody's watching, 
what good is an exclusive slot, right? Like, yeah, you have the exclusive slot at 1030 in the morning on a Tuesday. Well, no one's watching <laughs> television at 1030 in the morning on Tuesdays. I just, I don't know, man. It's it's just one of those things. We want the game to be successful. We love baseball. We're diehard baseball fans. But I, I just going past midnight on a Sunday into Monday morning for your draft really is just just odd. Yeah, and if you're going to do it, and I, I promise we'll, we'll move on from this soon, I promise. But if you're going to do it, maybe uh, maybe you kick the ESPYs off of the day after the All-Star game, which is famously the day where there isn't much going on in sports, which is why the ESPYs happened that day. Maybe you uh, negotiate that and have it have it in that standalone window where everyone's kind of looking for something to watch. I don't know. It's a, it's a mess. I wouldn't like having the draft in that slot regardless. There is an ongoing debate, even in the industry, about like when the draft should be. Teams don't like this either necessarily, from what I heard from people that are kind of more plugged in than I am. Like No one seems to love the all-star break draft crossover. Uh, so I don't know if it's, if it needs to be later or earlier or after the world series or whatever it's going to be, but uh, needless to say, it was another example of baseball doing a silly thing from a marketing standpoint, which is uh, obviously we are huge Rob Manfred guys on this show. As people all certainly know, I know you are Scott. I know I am. Love. We love How Rob. many more days till he retires. Anybody? Uh, I don't know. There's probably, there should be a contest of some sort. Um, okay. Anyway, beyond that, there was some, brave centric injury update slash new stuff to hit on that before we get to the games of the last couple of days. Um, one more encouraging update is Kirby Yates is uh, beginning his rehab. It's almost like, in fact, I, I've kind of been keyed on Kirby Yates, Kirby Yates for a while. Cause I've always liked him, but I feel like the fan base like almost forgets he, that he exists for obvious reasons. He's not been on the team before, but he was that flyer signing. They spent some real money on him for the future, but this is a guy who was formerly like, a top five closer in baseball over a two year span, but he is now pitching his way back into shape. He's going to pitch again on Sunday in Mississippi. Um, Battery powers. Grant McCauley actually uh, spoke to Yates. I believe it was today on Saturday and said that he has been feeling good after his first two outings. Um, I don't want to go crazy here, but Kirby Yates upside is very clear at the same time. He hasn't been really pitching at that level for three years, almost at this point in time, kind of similar to Mike Soroka. We'll get to in a second, but what do you make of Kirby Yates getting closer? Because if anything, he just, it's kind of a high upside flyer that could be useful. Yeah. A couple of years ago, it's, it's not hyperbole to say that Kirby Yates had one of the greatest closer seasons of all time. He had a war upwards of three, like he had some stats that went up against like Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman as, as the greatest of all time seasons for a closer. That was three, four years ago. Now he's in his mid thirties. So nobody, I think realistically is expecting him to come back, uh, but the Braves have very clearly been on Kirby Yates for a while. He, I, I believe it was reported that he had reached an agreement with Atlanta prior to the 2021 season last yep, year. It was, and it fell through because of a physical, some concern over his elbow. And it was real money. I think it was like a, a one-year deal for 8 million plus an option. It fell through because of medical concerns. He ultimately signed with Toronto for less money. I think the first week of spring training, his elbow blew out and he had to have Tommy John. So you know, we're talking about a guy who's a little bit older, but the way this bullpen is built right now with the crazy amount of depth that it has, you're not asking Kirby Yates to come in and be a lights out closer. Like, like the bullpen fate does not rely on Kirby Yates at all. Quite honestly, he's probably going to be the sixth or seventh man out of that bullpen. Um, you know, it's a good situation to be in. It is, we always joke, but it, it's like making a trade at the deadline without <laughs> having to make there a it trade. Is. 
uh, assuming his elbow is is fine and he keeps coming all the way back and doesn't run into any roadblocks. But uh, yeah, if, if Kirby Yates is even a shell of the guy he was a couple of years ago out in San Diego, uh, it's just going to be yet another weapon for this bullpen, which has been statistically, uh, it's it's pretty clearly, if not the best overall, it's at minimum top three. Yeah, a uh, couple numbers here to throw at everybody. In fact, as of today, which is updated for today's games, the Braves do lead all of Major League Baseball, not, not just the National League, all of MLB in bullpen fangraphs war right now. They are number one. That is pretty impressive on its own. Uh, you bring back Kirby Yates, and that's potentially, again, there's some risk there. He may not be anything. But just to back you up on what you said about his historic season, in 2019, these are his numbers, and they are out of a video game, basically. He threw 60 and two-thirds innings. He had 101 strikeouts. So that's 15, 15 per nine. That's obviously a ridiculous number. 13 walks. So 100 strikeout, 101, 101 strikeouts, 13 walks. That's a wild ratio. He had a 1.19 ERA that season. Uh, a 1.13, sorry, 1.30 FIP, which is also ridiculous. Like you Pretty can't good. fake being as good as he was that year. Again, that's a long time ago. He is 35 years old. But uh, you mentioned the contract that he signed, that he was sort of agreed to two years ago. Uh, the Braves did sign him to a multi-year deal. So even if he's not back helping them this year, they gave him a two-year contract. And you might remember this now, they gave him a, a very cheap deal for this year and guaranteed him more money for next year through the prism of, okay, maybe he'll help us at the end of this season, but then he'll be at full strength for the following year. It's a two-year deal worth um, about eight and a quarter million dollars total. And most of that money is next year's money. But it's basically like they're hoping he's going to be the guy for next year that will help them as sort of a more like a high leverage guy. But for this year, this is a former all-star that could be ready to pitch for them in the next few weeks. So pretty interesting addition that's uh, getting closer, if nothing else. It is, yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the way his contract was structured. I think you take anything you get from him in 2022 as gravy, especially knowing that he is signed for next year. You're going to lose Will Smith. Kenley Jansen will be a free agent. Uh, so you're going to have some some high leverage vacancies in the bullpen next year. Uh, but yeah, man, if, if you can get anything out of Kirby Yates, he has a nasty changeup. When he is right, his changeup just dips off the plate and hitters have no chance against it. Um, I think it was rated as one of the most valuable pitches in the entire league during that aforementioned 2019. Uh, If Kirby Yates is anything good, and again, we're not asking him to close out the ninth, even the eighth or the seventh for the most part. um, I do think this bullpen, we're going to talk about the trade deadline. I do think this bullpen needs another power right-handed arm. We'll see if Kirby Yates can be that guy or if the front office brings in somebody else at the deadline, but Ultimately, I think it's it's a nice benefit to have to get him for two months and then having him for next year as well should be nice. Yes, uh, we will leave that there for now. A couple more injury updates that are less promising in some respects. There is no update on Ozzy Albies from Bright Snicker as of Friday. Um, not a huge surprise, but his foot fracture happened, you know, about six weeks ago at this point. Um, it does not seem like he's, he's going he's to be ready to go when he's eligible to return on the 60-day IL. That is not a huge surprise. You know, we talked about that at the time. Like, you should never assume that a guy's going to come back immediately off the 60-day when he's eligible to. Um, we'll get into this at the, at the deadline portion of this podcast. But the Braves are a little weak at second base for obvious reasons. When you lose an all-star caliber player, you're going to be weak at that spot. And uh, if he's not going to be ready, and I'm sure they have no no reason to tell us that right now, 
if they are concerned at all that he might not be ready for the playoffs, let's just say, then they want, may, may, may want to invest somewhere else. RC has been a little bit better the last few days, but he was pretty rough for the last few weeks of the first half, and Cano has been kind of a non-factor as well. So uh, we'll see what they do there, but obviously all eyes on Ozzy when he comes back, but I don't think it's going to be any time in the next few weeks. No, and I think – I don't know what to make of it. The front office and SNIT have been pretty quiet as, as far as updates. I mean, that they – even when the surgery happened, there was no immediate estimated return. So maybe maybe they honestly don't know. Uh, but again, we we're 10 days out from the trade deadline. And I think internally, uh, they, I hope they know internally more than they more than they're saying, because otherwise they're in trouble in terms of like projecting, you know. Oh, for sure. And, and they have, uh, again, about a week and a half left to see how he is progressing, even if they think he's going to be back maybe by the end of August. Uh, and feel confident in that, then maybe you don't need to go out and make a move. But quite obviously, if there's an op- a chance that just he just isn't progressing from the surgery uh, for you know whatever reason it is, especially at a position like second base where you have to be so quick on your feet, uh, if there's any chance, I, I think it would be worthwhile to add a utility-type player to this roster because uh, Orlando Arcia is in that role currently, and if he's playing every day, uh, God forbid something happened to Dansby or Riley, then you're really in trouble all of a sudden, uh, even if it's just for a week or two. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll ultimately have to see where the front office is. I think we'll probably get a better idea of Ozzy's long-term prognosis before the deadline, or I guess I should say right after the deadline, whether they make a move or not. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, I was hoping that it would be a true 60 day injury and he would be ready to roll at the time of, if he needs a little more time, it's, it's certainly not the end of the world. Uh, you just really, you just want him to have enough time in September or even late August to be ready for the playoffs whenever those games begin. Yeah. And because of how long he'll be out, he'll probably need a week plus of rehab as well to come back and be ready to go. So keep that all in mind. And yeah, it's almost like they're going to tell us more about his prognosis with their action or non-action um, rather than actually using their words on Ozzy. We'll see. Um, but that's something to circle coming up into, uh, into August um, other thing on the agenda is Mike Soroka, no timetable there either. Um, Bowman asked Mark Snicker, sorry, Brian Snicker, um, if he should be viewed as a long shot with regard to Soroka and Snit basically gave him like sort of a non-answer. Um, Bowman then noted in his newsletter that given where the calendar is, as we get into almost August, it seems like a long shot for Soroka to pitch this year. I tend to agree with that based on what we know right now. And he's not pitched at all in the majors since August 3rd of 2020. So that's about two years, but essentially that was a very brief time. And you pointed this out, like he's not really pitched in any regular fashion for three years almost, which is uh, it's a long time. We kind of knew Sorok was going to be, at least we did and uh, t- try to tell people this and warn people about this. Like you couldn't have too high expectations about him for this year, but if he misses the entire season again, like it's uh, it's not necessarily the greatest thing in the world. Maybe they're just being super cautious and hoping for next year because we kind of stressed that too. Like 2023 was more realistic for him to be like a full-time guy again. But, uh, you know, I thought he might be back by August, September. And uh, it didn't seem like that's probably going to be the case. No, and it's a shame because look, man, like every Braves fan on the planet is rooting for this kid. Like, the double Achilles tear, that, that's a freak axed and that only so many people on the entire planet have had let alone baseball players um yeah as as mark bowman pointed out you know we're in the final week of july now he's going to need essentially an entire spring training worth of starts in the minor oh, yeah. league 
So even if he started it this week and it does not sound like he is anywhere close, even if he realistically needed six weeks in the minors, you're looking at what, Labor Day for him to come back. He has not faced big leaguers consistently for three years. Like, I just, I think there's, it's just a, a calendar. The calendar's working against him. Uh, it would be nice, I think, for the mental hurdle for Mike to be, if he's physically able to do it, for him to get back on a big league mound, even if for, you know, an inning or two in a low leverage situation, it might be good for his kind of off-season mental state that he's not thinking about his return for six months. Um, but yeah, I know, I know some folks have been holding out hope for Mike to come back this year. And I guess it's not impossible, but I just, I have a hard time seeing him only, you know, having really two months now until the end of the year, uh, he would have to ramp up very quickly and then be placed in some high stress situations in a pennant race. And, and then the potentially the postseason. I just, it's, it sucks, but I just don't see it. Yeah. I, I tend to trust Bowman on this one. And also like you laid out great there. I mean, it, it, he's going to need to really ramp up in a way that, um, again, he's not pitched in so long. Plus he's a starting pitcher. Like he just, it just takes time. Maybe if they wanted to have him for a bullpen role, it'd be a little bit more realistic, but do you want to have, you want to gear him up to do that? I don't, I'm not really sure what you want to do there. Um, that's not necessarily the, the kind of guy he's always been either. Like his, even just beyond like the logistics of it, his stuff is not really like bullpen stuff. He's more like he's built to be a starter in a lot of different ways with what his, with his offerings. So I don't know. I think that it'd be fun to see him pitch. I think they, they are going to be careful with him. It's worth noting that he's again, he's going to be arbitration eligible again next year. I get, I, you know, beyond just the rooting for him aspect, which I think I totally agree with of what you said, they probably would like to know more about him in terms of like, whether they are going to pay him for next year. Like there was at least a question about this year, whether they were going to tender Soroka, they ended up doing that and he's making some real money this year. Um, in theory, it'd be a little bit more money next year. Um, and uh, that's not like an absolute given that they were, that, they, that they're going to do that. So more information would be better. We'll see, but uh, not necessarily the greatest update in the world to not give an update basically here into uh, late July and into early August. Um, I don't know. That's kind of all we have on the news front. Obviously we'll get into some game action stuff in a moment and some standing stuff and trade line stuff. But uh, before we do all of that, a word from our sponsors on today's show. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, Scott, let's knock out the uh, two Yes, two baseball games that have happened over the last week because it's the All-Star break and then now it's a Saturday night podcast rarely here at like 11 p.m. Eastern. Um, 
two wins. They scored seven runs in both games. Uh, Friday night's game was interesting in that uh, Shoei Otani, who is uh, an absolute freak alien, was just dominating the Braves as he does to almost everyone for six innings. And then he just kind of came unglued um, in the seventh gave up a walk and a home run to Matt Olson, who has been really good lately. And then a bunch of singles and then Arcia kind of broke it open with a home run, um, his first in a long while. Uh, I have no take on Otani other than he's just incredibly awesome. The, uh, the Otani fake trades have been all the rage. I know you've seen these, I'm sure on Twitter in the last few days. Um, I guess maybe second only to Juan Soto fake trades that have been happening because he's actually more on the market at this point. But A, it was fun to see Otani pitch against the Braves in Atlanta for the first time in his career. Uh, B, he is really, really good at baseball. And C, uh, the Braves beat him, which was nice to see. And Charlie Morton outdueled him, I guess, which was nice. Yeah, if uh, if you didn't have an opportunity to be at Truist on Friday night and the stadium was packed and rocking, uh, but if you haven't had an opportunity to see Shohei Otani in person, he is incredible. Like he, again, I mean, it, it's not hyperbole. He's doing things that nobody since Babe Ruth has done. He, I mean, he's built like an NFL alpha wide receiver. And then he goes out and throws six nearly touchless innings. Like the Braves were just flailing away at the invisible ball until the things came apart in the seventh. Um, and then Saturday night, he hits a home run. Like, the, like the kid is incredible. Um, I have a friend who actually used to work in the Angels front office. He's also a really good guy, too, which is always nice to hear, like a good human being. I think we like to root for those kinds of players. Uh, but, yeah, anytime you're going up against Shohei when he had his A1 stuff early on, uh, you get a win. And as you said, Charlie Morton, was uh, he's been really, really good after that kind of slow and frankly, just weird start to the year. He wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. There was some bad luck involved. Seems like even last night, he hit a couple of batters with pitches. It seemed like he does that every single start now with this curveball. Um, it, it's, you know, it's been an odd year for Morton, but he pitched really well. And anytime you can open up the second half with the win against Shohei is, is certainly good for business. Yeah, that was really just a cool headline situation for the Braves in the baseball landscape. You know, coming out of the All-Star break, everyone knew he was going to pitch in Atlanta on that Friday for like four or five days. So there was like a real anticipation for that, for that outing. Um, they were able to sell out the ballpark. He's obviously a draw on his own, but um, you know, you and I appreciate baseball beyond the Braves. And it was just like, he, he's a monster man. Like he's, you know, I know Mike Trout's been the guy for a long time. And I think you can argue that Otani is the best player in baseball now. Like he, at least at the moment with all, all the stuff he does, obviously the two-way appeal is just absolutely absurd. Last year, it was the bat that really carried him in a lot of ways. He was a good pitcher, but he was uh, even better as a hitter. I think he had yeah, 46 home runs last year, which was ridiculous. This year, he's still hitting well, uh, not quite as well, but his pitching has been like, uh, let's just say ludicrous. Um, so yeah, I mean, fun to see that. And of course, even better to get the Braves over the line with a win. Um, I will say, and I think uh, you and I talked about this, I know you posted their lineup the other day. The Angels lineup at the moment without Trout in it is so bad. Like it's, mind-numbingly bad I mean they had a good start to the season um and kind of were one of the better stories it was like oh maybe we'll finally get to see Trout and Otani in the postseason and then they lost like what 15 games in a row something like that and their yeah. lineup right now is just it's Otani and nothing it is gross it's brutal like the Angels we need like a thorough like in-depth study of the Anaheim <laughs> slash Los Angeles Angels because I, you know, I know they lost Anthony Rendon, who has been kind of a, a bust since signing the big deal. Uh, no trout obviously impacts the game, but you're right. I mean, uh, 
it is astounding to see the Angels fall apart yet again. I think Mike Trout, for being on pace to maybe be the greatest player of all time, and I know it's difficult to compare players in the year 2022 to 1913 or whatever, but like he's going to be potentially the greatest of all time if his body holds up for the final decade of his career. And I think he's played in four postseason games. That is how dysfunctional Anaheim is. It's honestly crazy to see a team that has this big, big payroll, some huge names on the roster, um, but they're a mess. Like a guy on the in the outfield almost took a fly ball to the face tonight, uh, and then it bounced right to the second baseman and who caught it for an out. Like it's it's kind I of have... a show, and I, I feel bad for Trout and Otani because they are these world-class players who are stuck in yet another losing season. And look, I know Mike Trout makes $40 million. Like I, I don't feel that bad for him. But at a certain point, something has to give. I think this is their third general manager as well of the decade. Uh, Perry Manassian, actually, who used to be with the Braves' front office. Yep. It, it's just a mess. Yeah, I, I have two thoughts before we move on um, from this. Uh, number one, uh, it, this is baseball. And uh, there are people out there still in the world that are like, Mike Trout isn't that good because the Angels don't win. And it's like, you have no idea about baseball. If that's like the thought you have because – one player just cannot do that for you. Like the, the clearest evidence in the world that one player cannot carry a baseball team is Mike Trout. <laughs> like he's basically been undisputedly the best baseball player alive for a full decade. He really arrived in earnest in, 12, in 2012 and he's been pretty much the best player in the league every season for 10 or 11 seasons in a row. And it doesn't matter because the angels it's a, it's baseball. It's a full roster sport and you can't fake it. Even with two guys, we're now seeing, Number two point, uh, Scott, if I had to, if you had to guess what the Angels record is over the last 50 games, what would you say? 50 games, oh, round number. I know it's, I know it's horrendous. I'm going to say like 10 and 40 or something like that. The Angels are 12 and 38 oh, in the last 50 games. And I by the way, they, they started 27 and 17 and now they are 12 and 58, sorry, 12 and 38 in the last 50 after that. So uh, falling off the cliff does not even do it justice. That's how bad. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the greatest running meme on Twitter is about tungsten arm or O'Doyle. Have you seen <laughs> where it was like Mike Trout went four for five with three home runs, Shohei Otani threw seven scoreless innings, and the Los Angeles Angels lost to the Detroit Tigers by a score of 10 to three. Yeah, it's, it really is something like that every night. It's, it's funny and it's satire, but I mean, every night there was a game maybe two weeks ago where I think Trout and Otani had eight combined hits. And they lost to the Baltimore Orioles. Like, <laughs> it's ludicrous, man. I, I, yeah. Anyway, we, we could do Angel Stuck all day, but uh, it's appropriate since Otani finally pitched in Atlanta to kind of dive in a little bit of stuff, but it's wild. Um, as for today's game, and we'll move on from here, uh, the Braves scored seven runs in the first four innings, and that was all they needed on this night. Actually, the first five runs all scored on singles or fielder's choices, which is a little bit strange. And then Austin Riley hit another home run because Austin Riley hits a home run every night. Um, at the moment, Austin Riley is comfortably number two in the National League, trailing only Kyle Schwarber with 28 home runs. He has been the best hitter in the National League over like a six, seven-week sample size. That's obviously an arbitrary endpoint. He's been that good over that run. And I think he's like, you have it here. I think he's third or fourth in the National League at WRC Plus this year. He has been ludicrous. I, I got some flack, deservedly so, tonight for uh, my preseason take that Riley would only be a top 10 third baseman and not better than that. Uh, that looks to be very wrong at this point, which I'm totally fine with. He uh, basically 
you know, the defense does hold him back. I know there's the whole discussion about this defense and I am on the side of he's not good defensively and the numbers are there for a reason. But even if you factor that in, he's been a top 10 player in the national league this year. He's been a top three or four hitter in the national league. So what, do you, what else do you say about Austin Riley? Who's just been raking every night. Yeah. If you look at the leaderboard, the only hitters who have been better than Austin Riley this year are Jordan Alvarez, who is like Barry Bonds in his prime right now. <laughs> yes. But Alvarez, Paul Goldschmidt, Aaron Judge, Rafael Devers, old friend Freddie Freeman. Who's, by the way, on a tear right now for the Dodgers. He is, oh, he's red hot, too. Every night, he, he has three hits. Uh, and then Jose Ramirez. So you talk about that group of seven that's ahead of Riley. And other than like Alvarez, Goldschmidt, and Judge, like Riley's another couple good games away from being in the top five. Uh, he is, I, I mean, I tweeted this on Saturday night, watching him develop, emerge, transform into one of the best hitters on the planet. I mean, even as someone who I think both of us were never huge, huge believers in Austin Riley coming up, we had concerns as did a lot of people, right? Watching him transform into this elite hitter, like an actually elite top level hitter has been crazy to watch. You're right. I mean, every night for a month now, it seems like he's hitting a couple homers, a couple doubles, whatever it may be. He is just locked in, hitting the ball hard. His stat cast profile is really good. I mean, what, what more can you say about the kid? Yeah, he has like a 300 ISO. Like he just mashes. I mean, the only thing he doesn't really do at an elite level is get on base. And even then it's strongly above average for the climate that we're in he has like a 350 ish obp that's still like that's still good um plus the power so yeah he's just been wild and um anyway that was the the tackle on story they, they actually didn't need quote unquote that home run to win the game tonight because they won seven to two but uh he's been crazy kyle wright was good again your guy kyle wright uh two runs over six innings um and also the other thing that was a little bit less fortunate was adam duvall leaving the game with what the braves are calling left wrist soreness that's kind of all we know right now i'm scanning the Twitter machine, we started recording right when the game ended, but I've seen no further update on Duvall at this moment in time. Obviously, that would not be great. You know, Duvall's not like a star or anything, but he's a guy that's a valuable role player. So if he's out for a while, that would not be good. But at the moment, just soreness, so we'll see. Yeah, it was kind of an odd injury. There wasn't like an immediate play, at least that we saw, where it's like, oh, man, Duvall might have hurt something. So hopefully it was just him being smart. He's a veteran. He knows his body. Hopefully he just said something to the trainers. There's more important games to play down the road. You don't want to seriously hurt yourself trying to play through it. And, and yeah, Kyle Wright, he's 12 and four with a 2.95 ERA as we approach the end of July. Even folks who were bullish on him coming into the year, I mean, that, that's really, really good. It's kind of weird. He's, he's probably going to get some very real Cy Young votes because, especially with the traditional stats like wins, wins, baby. 12 wins. We love wins. The ERA is 295. And then, you know, the underlying metrics are really good too. It's not smoke and mirrors. It's he has a 3.3 FIP and X FIP striking out guys. He's not walking batters. He's not giving up a ton of home runs, all things that you really want to see. Um, and, and the craziest thing is he's going to get some Cy Young votes. And if the world series started tomorrow, he's probably starting game three, game four for the Braves. So a very, very good situation to be in, especially with Max Fried and Charlie Morton at the top, and then Spencer Strider doing what he's done. And Ian Anderson's been better, I think, the last couple of weeks. Hopefully that continues. But yeah, he just, 
even for the the biggest fans of Kyle Wright, this run this year has been really impressive. They just have to stop letting Ian face the order the order the third time. That's all they have to yeah. do with Ian Anderson to be fine. Truly. Um, but yeah, as of tonight, updated for tonight's games on, on Fangraphs, Max Fried is number four in the National League among pitchers in Fangraphs War, and Kyle Wright is number 11. Um, that's pretty good, especially when you factor in that Morton's been back to his old self recently, uh, a sub three RA, sub three ERA for a while. Morton, I believe, is yeah, Morton is in a tie for 24th among National League starters. So they have three of the top 24 in the National and League. Strider, Strider's up there too. He probably isn't qualified. Yeah, he's not quite to the qualified list yet, but I'm not, in, in real time because this is great podcasting. I'm looking say, this up. I think he has a higher war than Kyle does, which is. I mean, it makes sense because of how dominant Strider has been, but I mean, it's Strider. Yeah. Strider is actually uh tied for 10th. Yeah. When, when you, when you remove the qualification, I will say that also, you also add Max Scherzer in who actually has about the same amount of innings as Strider does. So uh, that does push Kyle down to 13th, but regardless, uh, everybody's pretty good on that level. And then, uh, you, yeah. you know, when Anderson's your fourth guy, you're in fine shape um, or fifth guy, maybe if, if you throw in Strider. Um, yeah. Okay. So, We'll get into the deadline here. I we, we should just mention quickly, especially coming off of the Duval injury, a couple of uh, not so great notes in the middle of the celebration that is their current performance. Ronald Acuna is not playing well. Um, last 29 games before today, um, his slash line was a slash line that you would never expect for Ronald Acuna over a full month, basically. Uh, 207, 308, and a 276 slugging for a month. Four extra base hits only. He did have a double today, but wasn't like fantastic either. Uh, you pointed this out on Twitter today and shared it. Um, his batted ball stuff is still totally fine, obviously, and you know, better than fine, really, for Ronald Acuna. But uh, do you have any worry level? I mean, we've kind of memed the people on Facebook or wherever that, that want Acuna traded and like full on panic. I'm not worried really at all still about Ronnie, but like it is worth just noting he's been pretty bad for a month. He has I, panic, no. Um, one thing that he's doing more than he ever has, he's been hitting a lot of ground balls, uh, which again, it, the next time a ground ball goes over the fence will be the very first. So, you know, that, that's a little bit of a concern. Maybe it's a mechanical adjustment that he needs to make. Maybe it's just baseball being baseball. Um, you know, my concern level is probably at like a three. I wish he was hitting better. It feels like any day now he's due for one of his patented crazy hot streaks where he goes like 12 for 16 over a weekend and all of a sudden it's like okay Ronald's back uh but yeah it's, it's just been odd he's been swinging through some fastballs right in the middle of the zone and particularly in Washington he had a really bad series against the Nationals just before the break uh he did hit a ball hard on Saturday night had a couple of nice at bats uh but yeah it's just very un-Ronald Acuna-like, and I think for Ronnie, we know how high the ceiling is, so whenever he has a bad month like he's having, I think we notice it and panic a little bit more than if it was just an average or even a solid player, a good player. Um, so am I concerned? No. If it continues for another week or two, maybe maybe you start to, to wonder if there's something going on there, but ultimately I think, I mean, he's just so talented, man. Like, so talented. The batted ball stuff is good. Still hitting the ball hard. Uh, so no, I, I don't have a, a high level of concern, but you do need Ronald to get going. And then you think about how good this team has been. Yeah. If you can get Ronald Acuna Jr. Hitting like his normal self at the top of this order with Dansby and Riley and Olsen. I mean, that is an absurd top half. And then you get the guys at the bottom of the order producing too. Uh, it's, it's scary to think about just how high the ceiling can be for this offense. 
Yeah, that is one of the crazier things. And, you know, it's, you know, I'm sure it adds to the conspiracy theories about the Braves being, quote unquote, better without Ronald Acuna since they won the World Series last year. We never subscribed to that, nor do we, because it just makes, it makes no sense because Ronald Acuna is too good to not uh, help the team. But uh, it is crazy that they have been as good as they've been during this run with him being very average. Because uh, even if you go back to June 1st, when the run actually started, he's he has a 109 WRC plus since June 1st, which is still above average, by the way, which is kind of crazy. Like this huge slump that he's having, he's still been an average, average or better hitter. But uh, yeah, him doing him being very human uh, and still this run happening is pretty crazy. Anyway, uh, on the other side of the outfield, uh, also worth noting because of the Duvall question and maybe the upcoming deadline that we're about to talk about, Eddie Rosario has still been in the, in the wilderness. We all know how bad he was pre-IL stint. There was an explanation for that. He couldn't see, which probably is a bad thing if you're trying to hit a baseball. But in about three weeks since he came back, his um, OPS is 547. His WRC Plus is 41. He has been one of the worst players in baseball this year on the whole. Uh, I don't think he's that bad. But um, I guess the question that I will I will pose to you is like, at what point do you like full-on panic about Eddie Rosario? Because I'm not there yet, to be honest with you, because the sample size since he came back. And, you know, before before the IL stint was so bad, but it was so explainable that, like, I kind of just throw it out, to be honest. And the sample size since he came back is still so small that I don't really care. But he has been a black hole, basically, this year. So, like, what do you make of that? Yeah, I don't really know what to make of it. I Like you said, I think you have to throw out what he did in April because, again, he just could not see the baseball, like – when he had that one night where he just completely lost a fly ball in the air, I think in San Diego, it should have been like a warning, like a warning bell that something was clearly wrong. So I think you toss those numbers out and, and take them for what they were. Um, you can't give up on him. He's owed real money this year and next for that matter. He's a veteran guy. He's been around. Uh, he's shown a little bit of power. He's had a couple home runs. Uh, you hope that as he continues to get regular at bats, uh, that you just have to kind of ride with Eddie. I know there's been some talk about what can you do with, with the outfield, um, particularly now if, if Duvall has to miss a little bit of time, hopefully he doesn't, should know more tomorrow. But um, I think you just keep giving Eddie at bats, especially against right-handed pitchers. Basically, this is, this is April 2.0 for him after missing nearly two full months with the eye surgery. And you just have to hope that he finds it. I think we uh, we all have those fond memories of Eddie from his – legendary October last year. He's, he's never been that guy. It was just a, a magical run for a couple of weeks uh, on the world series run. But I think if you're the Braves, you just have to keep giving it him at bats where you can and hope that he finds it because, you know, if Eddie Rosario can be the guy he's been his whole career, he's going to really help this lineup. He's a, a guy who, when he's right, hits for a little higher batting average, puts the ball in play, which I think is going to be helpful, especially where he's going to be batting in, in the kind of middle bottom of the order. Uh, but yeah, it has not been a kind season overall for Eddie. Yeah. And just, I know we talked about this a lot when they signed him and uh, even when we were talking about whether they would sign him, but over a five-year period, this includes last season and the four years before that he had a 799 OPS, which was a 112 OPS plus. So he was an above average hitter over a five-year period. It was mostly power-based. He had a 484 slugging. Um, never been the greatest walks guy, but always hits for average. Like you said, 278 average over five years. That's what you're hoping for. 
Um, even a step down from that would be a totally productive player in the role that he's going to be in. Um, we tried to say this a lot in the offseason that he was not going to be the same guy he was in the playoffs. He was that, that guy was, or even just in the regular season for Atlanta last year, he had a 903 OPS in the regular season. That was never happening either. But if you could just get him to be even a functional, solid half of a platoon would be enough to justify what you're paying him. Would that be a huge uh, bargain at $9 million a year? No. But given the world that you're in with Michael Harris, in center every day and Ronald Acuna in right every day. Um, if you could just put Rosario and Duvall together in left field, that's kind of all you need in life at the moment. If you were the Braves, um, of course, the yeah. question becomes if Duvall is banged up at all with the wrist. And if Rosario is bad, then you're not comfortable with that spot, but there is a little bit of depth there. Um, as a bridge though, we can talk in about the deadline a little bit, you know, we're still 10 days away. The deadline is a little bit later this year. It's August 2nd. At 6 p.m. So again, almost exactly 10 days away from right now. Um, they have a couple of, you know, let's just say this. The Braves are not a team that has like hugely glaring needs, which is a nice place to be. We, we, we will certainly acknowledge that now. Oftentimes you will see a spot where a team, even a contender, has like a very obvious, you know, red flashing light need. And the Braves don't really have one. I mean, they have some mild things that would be nice. Um, but at the same time, they have, you know, it's, it's more like preferences to be tuning stuff up rather than like last year, we knew the outfield was, was a catastrophe and they had to fix it for just as, as one example this year, they have some spots, but like, I don't feel like they have to do anything like with a capital H have to, what do you think as like a broad strokes before we dive into some positions? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's a situation of how greedy do you want to be? But at the same time, knowing that there really just aren't a ton of flexible spots on this 26-man roster. Um, Everybody is looking for pitching help this time of year. We have talked for a couple of weeks, and even with how well the the, especially the big four in the rotation are going, I think uh, adding a starting pitcher would be wise, give everybody a little bit of a breather, could shift some guys into a different kind of a role in the postseason should it come to it. Uh, the bullpen, I would love to add a power arm. Uh, we'll see if you know, I think Kirby Yates might have something to do with that. Um, and then as we kind of talked about on this podcast, uh, knowing where Ozzy Albies is with his recovery is going to play a, a big factor in whether or not they add an infielder. Um, and then Adam Duvall, uh, his injury, it, he jammed his wrist. Uh, we still don't know the severity of it. We'll probably know by the time most of you are listening to this podcast. Hopefully it's nothing too serious. Yep. Um, but really, you know, I think we'll have a better idea over the next week of those injury progressions. But uh, anytime you can add to a team, especially with the new way of the trade deadline, right? As of 6 p.m. Eastern on August 2nd, the Braves' roster is the Braves' roster. So you, you need to do the very best that you can to have as much depth as possible because there's no more waiver trade deadline as there was for years and years. I mean, the Braves roster or 40 man or organizational roster, whatever you want to call it is set as of 10 days from now. Um, and you want to try to prevent any kind of injury that comes up or, uh, you know, drop in performance. You want to be able to adjust as best as you can, uh, especially when you're trying to win a division and, and then make another deep run. Yeah, and uh, you saw the, uh, the you, you gave the update on, on Duvall there with that's all Snit said, but that was you know, as, as we're recording here, they basically said that he jammed on the wall. So we'll see on that. But yeah, I totally agree. It's um, 
Anathopolis works um, under the radar. Usually, you know, famously last year, they pulled off a bunch of smaller deals over the course of a week, which kind of begins like right now, almost um, this time of year. And, um, you know, this is a team that does not need to make a big swing move. Last year, famously, they gave up very little to overhaul their entire outfield. Um, and, you know, let's just acknowledge this now. Um, with all due respect to our road to Atlanta guys, uh, the system in the minors is really ugly right now. Like everyone agrees on this, including our guys. They're probably a little bit higher than some. But the Braves have uh, conservatively a bottom five farm right now. Part of that, and I would say most of it, is that all of the graduations seem to be working out from your Michael Harris to Strider, to the guys who've been up for a little while longer, like all of the prospects, not all of, but, um, you know, they basically emptied out the system with regard to trading for Matt Olson and guys graduating and being good major leaguers. So it's like, it's a good problem to have because that kind of gave them a world series and all that stuff. But at the moment, in terms of ammunition, they don't have a ton to trade. Like it's different if you're trading for a star and you're trading, you put some guys on the, on the major league roster in play, but for what the Braves probably want to do, which is like more like on the margins, fine tuning, it's probably prospect based. They don't have a lot of prospects to trade, at least not good ones. No. And it's always curious to see what other teams think of the Braves' organization. Um, you know, the, the depth in the in the system right now, and you, you're absolutely right. It's not a great group as a whole, which is to be expected. You also haven't been able to really sign international free agents for four years because of the absurd punishment that MLB gave the the organization um you know the the depth in the system resides in these kind of triple a 4a starters your Bryce Elders your Kyle Muller um you know those type of arms and I, I don't know how much value someone like that might have uh, Von Grissom is tearing it up in the now in double a you probably don't want to let him go especially with some questions you have long term on the infield uh, so yeah i think it's it's important to know as we talk about the trade deadline and as you sit there and think about what moves the Braves should make and when you see a player like a luis castillo for example from the reds power arm legit number one number two starter Everybody would love Luis Castillo on this team in a short playoff series. You start to get excited about some of the possibilities. And then you think, wait a minute, even if the Braves unloaded the, the yeah, last few just, pieces, there's no they're, they're still, they're, the Braves are not going to, or very unlikely to win a prospect bidding war. Well, with, yeah, <laughs> especially, with these, you know, the Yankees have a good system. The Dodgers have a good system. The Padres have a good system. Teams they're going to be bidding against have far more depth and ammunition to trade from. Um, and that's fine. As we said, there, there's no issue with that. It's just the reality of the trade deadline. Yeah. And here's the, here's the other thing about that is like, I know part of the deal with being a fan of any team is that you want your team to make a deal that is beneficial to your team. And most fake trades from Braves fans do not give up enough for whatever player. That's just the reality of the situation. But like, if you call on Luis Castillo right now, you know who the Reds are going to ask for? Michael Harris <laughs> or right. Spencer Strider, like somebody that's on your team already, like because there's nobody in the minors that's going to scream at them. And I'm glad you said the, the, thing, the thing you said at the end there is like guys like that, really are you're gonna have a bidding war like it's not gonna be a one-two situation that's why last year famously the braves worked on the margins and found guys who were not up for bidding wars and they traded very little for those players so no matter what happens 
I will be fairly surprised if they do a uh, a deal for someone who is like, truly in high demand. Um, maybe if maybe if they get a bad rapport in Duval, they feel like they have to get an outfielder, and that becomes a little bit different. That's maybe the only thing that I would say is if you get if, if that becomes bad, or if you get like a starting pitcher injury in the next week, maybe they, they have more desperation. But in the current situation, it's more about like getting a fifth starter or some depth there, or like getting another rotational outfielder, a la what, what they did last year with getting Jock or um, that version of Jorge Soler who was struggling, that kind of guy, versus like Castillo or, you know, obviously on the higher, higher, higher end, your your Soto types or whatever, like those guys are not going to happen, I don't think. Um, I'd have to be wrong about that for sure, but they just don't have the obvious packages because look, I mean, they're not going to trade Michael Harris. Like if this was six months ago and Michael Harris had not proven to be already capable of playing at a high level in the major leagues, maybe he's more available than he is now. He's obviously not available now, unless it's like an absolute really ridiculous superstar coming back. So, and Strider, Strider the same way, not, not quite on the level of Harris, but they're not trying to trade special Strider now. I mean, can you imagine the reaction if they were to trade special Strider in a deal that was not for a superstar right now? Like it would not be good. (laughs) Yeah, You can't subtract from your big league team in any way. So, um, you know, the good news is is we have seen this front office be creative. And as you said, they worked on the margins. They're probably not going to go heads up with another team for a, you know, a high level player. But again, there's so many, uh, there, there's probably, I was looking at this the other day, there's probably going to be 10, maybe 12 teams that are clear sellers or would be open to sell. Um, but that means you have potentially as many as 18 or 20 teams who are looking to add, particularly with the expanded wildcard. Um, so yeah, so as we kind of dig into, I guess, position by position or, or uh, section of the roster by section of the roster, uh, again, I want to I think we should lower expectations, right? Like, again, nobody really expects the Braves to go out and get a Juan Soto. Uh, they, they just don't have the pieces, and, and nor should they be expected. I mean, they, they do. They do have them if they wanted to go crazy, but they're not going to do that. Um, you know what I mean? Like, anybody on that level of Soto, Otani, or whatever, like, starts with Michael Harris. Like, he's in the deal, regardless, plus a lot more. And that they're not going to do that. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think people, honestly, this is a pretty convenient time to talk about this because all you have to do is point to last year when they won the World Series <laughs> and traded very little and, and got guys who were like very marginal players that happened to just work out perfectly for them. Um, the cut lighting in a bottle, you can't expect, expect that to happen, but that is part of the deal here. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty nice for the Braves to be like the golden star of the trade deadline and like the glimmer of hope for these teams on the fringe. Like there was a Phillies blog the other day that basically was like, why can't the Phillies be the Braves? Let's do what the Braves did last year. Well, and and the, the, the answer is it's very hard to do what the Braves did last yeah, year. They have to be very, and honestly, we can be honest and say there was, there was some luck involved with uh, all of those guys turning out well, like, it's hey, you gotta, still crazy in respect. <laughs> you got to get a little lucky to win one of those. You sure games. do. That's part of the deal, especially in baseball when the best team doesn't always win. Um, anyway, um, so starting pitching, we talked about. Uh, I know you have a guy that you want to call your shot on. So go ahead and do that. And we'll just, we, we talked about it in sort of a circle, but they don't, it, it won't be a guy that's going to blow you away regardless. But uh, you've, you've set around a name, Scott. So who's the, who's the name you want? I need the, uh, the drum roll to play, please. Get the intern. <laughs> uh, my, my bold prediction. Uh, is Noah Syndergaard. 
and uh, for famous, a couple, fam, famous former Met, which would be which would be great as well. Oh, I'm sure he would love to get to Atlanta. You, you told Noah he could get out of Anaheim and come to Atlanta and square off with the Mets, especially the way the you know Steve Cohen was tweeting about him and all this stuff. But no, I, I think Noah Syndergaard. He may not be the first name that comes to mind. Um, he's been fine this year. A four ERA, a four point oh five FIP. He doesn't strike out guys the way that I think folks remember him doing with the Mets, but this is the reason why I think he could be a fit. Um, We just talked about how the Braves don't have the prospects or likely don't want to give up the prospects to go get a Frankie Montas or a a Luis Castillo. Uh, Syndergaard's owed $9 million. The rest of the way, he signed a one-year deal for $22 million. So he's a free agent. He's not on the books. Um, I, I would take the power arm and you look at what the Braves targeted last year at the deadline, um, none of the four outfielders they acquired were having great years statistically, but the common thread, at least Rosario really hadn't played much, but with the other three, they were hitting the baseball hard. Yep. And all things equal in October in a postseason matchup, or even in September when you're trying to get that first round by, which I think is really going to be important as the top two seeds, I will take power pitching 10 days out of 10, uh, Syndergaard may not be the guy that he was pre Tommy John, uh, but he would be, I'm going to call my shot. I'll say he comes to the Braves. Uh, I think it's interesting that he's not pitching this weekend in Atlanta too. I kind of caught my eye a little bit. Uh, maybe it's just a coincidence, but for me, you could acquire him. You would allow Max Fried and Morton and Strider. I know the Braves, we should probably mention the Braves have said publicly, they're not going to limit Spencer Strider's innings. I think that's baloney. I don't think they're going to let him ride it out the whole way. They're going to want to limit him because they're going to need him in September and October, especially. Uh, so I will say they swing a, a money dump type deal for Noah Syndergaard. There's familiarity with the front offices as well. Uh, so give me Syndergaard. Call my shot now, July 23rd, almost July 24th. Um, I will say he is my, uh, my, my pick for the Braves. Yeah, I, I kind of dig it. And I think that we'll probably hear from somebody that just says, look, why would the Braves do this? They already have five starters. And you kind of get into it then with Strider. And uh, this goes without saying, I think, but you, you just can't have too much pitching. Um, it's just what it is. Like, uh, on the flip side, you only need less than five starters in the actual playoffs. But depth is something that every team is going to want, particularly when you have a guy like Strider who has the innings concerns um, and margin of error wise, like there's no one else in the system that's proven anything at this point. Um, like think about this. If you had an injury, let's say in the next few weeks, who is going to have those starts for the Braves? Tucker yeah. Davidson, Kyle, Kyle Muller. Muller. Yeah. Like those guys are not blowing anybody away at this point. So like having a little bit of insurance and listen, uh, I'll just say this, like cross your fingers, all that stuff. If you get to the playoffs, Strider's probably in your bullpen anyway, if we're being candid. Like, generally speaking, teams are not using five starters in the, in the playoffs. And as much as uh, Strider has been better than Ian Anderson this year, I have a feeling they would go with Ian Anderson as a starter and not Spencer Strider in a playoff series. So, and also Strider's stuff plays famously in the bullpen if they needed it. He was in the bullpen this year. So, like, you know, there's some creativity there as well. And Syndergaard's not going to blow you away, but he'd be, uh, yeah. he'd, be, he'd be a good ad for sure. It's all part of of the equation. And as we said a few minutes ago, as of 6 p.m. Eastern on August 2nd. Exactly. You cannot cannot add anybody. And God forbid I'm knocking on wood. 
but say that we're a week before the playoffs and Max Freed develops a blister and Charlie Morton sprains an ankle. I mean, all of a sudden you're in panic mode. Aren't you going to wish you had a little more starting pitching depth? The yeah. answer is yes. Every team that's contending is having this exact same conversation, the same thought process. Uh, maybe it won't be Cindergard, but regardless, I would really, really like to see them add a starting pitcher. You can also then limit innings. Uh, Kyle Wright is also going through his first full big league season. Um, he, you know, he's a different guy than Strider, but it's worth noting that this is for the first time ever, he's going through a full year. You're going to need Kyle going well in September and October. So this is, uh, I, I, again, it's, it's a situation. Everybody's looking for more pitching this time of year, but if you can add an impact arm of any kind and not have to give up prospects and the Braves have the money, let's be clear. They, they have plenty of money right now. Yeah. Their attendance has been uh, through the roof for the record. I know you're not local Scott, but I can tell you that they're, uh, oh, yeah. they are, they are drawing like crazy in the aftermath of the world series win. So oh, the, they have the some money, extra money. Yeah. The money printer has not stopped for like no. a full year now. It's, it's constantly flowing. So um, I know, again, I, I've thrown out some starting pitching things and folks have said, well, they have five starters. What are you talking about? No, I, I listen, I, I dig what you're saying. And even um, I know you acknowledged it, but even if they go a little bit lower profile than center guard, I kind of expect them to add a starter of some kind, whether it be a cheap, uh, more of like a throw in option that maybe doesn't have the same kind of upside as center guard, but like it will mildly surprise me in 10 days if they don't have another starter in the organization that wasn't here already, like of some, of some repute. Again, it may, it may, it may be less high profile than center guard who was like a former, you know, legitimate ace with the Mets. And he isn't that guy anymore anyway. But like, even if it's somebody that's like a throw in from the pirates, that's like just started sometimes, like they'll get some, I think they're going to add somebody that can throw starting level innings that they had to just my guess. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. So other than that, like second base, we talked about being a potential if they are concerned about Ozzy. A um, couple names to throw out there. Brandon Jury, uh, Joey Wendell would be some interesting names that have been thrown around a little bit. Um, not necessarily in rumors, but just some logical guys who could be available. Um, and look, it really comes down to, as we talked about earlier, what their projection is for Ozzy. Because if they are confident that Ozzy is going to be able to play on, let's just say, September 1st or something like that, then they may don't they probably don't have to go out and get a second baseman. But if there is any concern that Ozzy might miss until into September or even beyond that, um, I have a hard time thinking that a World Series contender is going to try to go out and only roll with Arcia and Robinson Cano in his current form. That just would surprise me. And could and, and, listen, I like the Cano move in terms of like the zero risk move that it was, but like he's not looking fantastic. Uh, so like. And Arcia, you know, famously, I don't think I don't think that much of, but he's totally fine as your utility guy, even for someone that means not a huge believer. But like, as you said earlier, like he's your utility guy and he's currently playing every single day for the most part, unless they have to try to play Cano unless he I don't know. We'll see. But I think that it comes down to Ozzy, but they could certainly go somewhere on second base. I think to put a bow on second base, you just hope that Ozzy's foot is recovering. He's a young guy historically it's been a two-ish month injury and recovery time everybody's going to heal differently but yeah ultimately I think I mean if there's an opportunity to add a legitimate guy a Brandon Drury for example who's having a really good year uh, granted probably half the teams in the league are interested in a Brandon Drury type again because of the depth and his versatility and it may not be a Drury but somebody Um, but yeah I, I think you 
I think the front office will know more over the next week as well with Ozzy's recovery and we all want him back, but it would not be the worst thing to add some insurance. And if, if there's any doubt about um, Albie's not being able to be back, then you, you almost have to go out and add somebody. Yeah. And same thing really in the outfield. Um, obviously Adam Duvall and Eddie Rosario are not Ozzy Albies, but if Duvall has more of a severe injury with the wrist um, and, or they are truly worried about Rosario, either one of those things, really, they might have some urgency to add another outfielder because right now they don't have a lot of depth there. You know, they have Guillermo, but he's not someone they want to play a lot, et cetera. So we, yeah. we covered, we covered that at length, but that's also the other spot that could be interesting beyond that. I don't always, I mean, maybe another reliever, but I think that's probably the Kirby eights yeah. spot. So uh, and they also have, I mean, you know, the bullpen depth is so much right now knock on wood, but I mean, they even have Darren O'Day kind of on the fake injured list right now. Um, they have a couple of guys in AAA as well, who you could presumably put in there. And as we know, uh, you don't need five starters in the postseason. So if you have a chance to put a Strider or even an Ian Anderson, someone like that in the bullpen, um, they're Strider, option. Strider, Strider. As, uh, as we saw last year, uh, the outfield is thankfully probably the easiest position to address at the trade deadline. Every team has three outfielders, sometimes more. You have a lot of teams looking to sell. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully Duvall is fine. Um, I've seen some a lot of talk about, oh, they're going to add an outfielder, and that would presumably then make Duvall and Rosario full-time bench players, and I, I just don't see that. Um, maybe the Braves surprise us. Maybe Anthopoulos has something up his sleeve. But as long as there's not a serious injury, I would imagine they are going to roll with the outfielders they have. Yeah. Um, injury pending, of course. All right. We've gone long on this podcast, so uh, we'll look ahead briefly to this week coming up, unless you have final thoughts that you want to share on the deadline. But um, I'm sure we'll cover some of that stuff in the coming days. We've, we've done a pretty good job, I think. Yes. Yeah. No, it, it's fun. Zero. It's going to yeah. be uh, it's that time it's of year. Feels like Monday is going to be like the start of the rumor mill. Uh, yeah, it feels like you know usually about the last week or so there's something going on. There'll probably be a deal or two made in the next few days, and we can get ramped up from there. And by the way, on a, on a day to day basis, uh, Sean Coleman on Daily Hammer will be covering all that stuff. I'm sure that Chris and Steve will talk about that stuff, and then next week we'll uh, I'm sure circle back on it on this podcast. Um, as noted at the beginning of the, of the show, the Braves are now within a half game. Yes, a half game of the New York Mets. Um, as of Saturday, again, Saturday, July 23rd, late evening into the morning on Sunday. Um, they play again on Sunday against the Angels. The Braves have already clinched the series win, but they could sweep them with a win. It's Ian Anderson against Detmers for the Angels. The Braves are favored in that game as I look at the Vegas odds right now, but obviously that's uh, not a given by any means, but they certainly could win and sweep the Angels, who they are obviously better than, as discussed earlier today. And then after that, um, they go to Philly for three. And the Phillies actually lost their first two games post-break. Post um, they had been playing very, very well before the All-Star break. Um, that's, a, that's an interesting series. The Phillies are pretty good. Um, you're facing Aaron Nola in that run. Aaron Nola, by the way, is a top five starter in the National League right now in terms of uh, his value this year. He's been awesome. Um, so that, that's a kind of a challenging series on the road. And then off on Thursday before they play at home against your Arizona Diamondbacks, Scott who are not good at baseball. So <laughs> that's a little bit easier series at home at the end of the week. Funny enough, you look at the Braves season, how it turned around on June 1st, which was that final game in Arizona. Uh, I think the Diamondbacks were like 500 going into that series. And they've been like angels level bad since that series. They're, they're, they're not horrible. They're better than they have been in recent years. But yeah, it's, it's an important week. 
You mentioned the Phillies. Uh, the Braves are going to see a ton of the Phillies and the Mets in the second half of the year. Uh, I don't want to necessarily say that the outcome and the standings will be determined by who plays better in those handful of series between those three teams, but um, you know, it's going to be a challenge. Anytime you go to Citizens, ba- Citizens Bank Park, uh, things can get a little weird there with that smaller uh, smaller yard. And um, as you said, you're going to get Max Freed and Spencer Strider and then Charlie Morton. So you have your big three going, um, or at least three of your four big, uh, big arms. And then, and then you, you hopefully take advantage of a bad Diamondbacks team. Um, maybe Arizona will even unload a couple guys before the series begins, which would only make things easier before the deadline. Uh, but yeah, six games ahead. Hopefully they close out on Sunday against the angels. Uh, Sundays have been weirdly like painful for the Braves all year. <laughs> yeah. Even going into the break, they had that stinker against the nationals where like they had their, triple a players hitting home runs off spencer strider like that that was frustrating but nonetheless uh hopefully another good week and keep the good vibes rolling yeah and a couple notes on the schedule um sunday's game is an early one as usual 135 wednesday is a getaway getaway day game it's a 12 35 p.m eastern start so that'll be a morning baseball game for scott coleman out there in arizona on wednesday uh day off thursday and then of course uh home for arizona so all that to note. Um, and just as a programming note, you mentioned them playing a lot against the Mets. Uh, I think it's like 12 more against the Mets, something like that. Uh, they have a five-game series against the Mets right after the trade deadline. So that's going to be uh, very, very interesting to see like what both teams do before that and also like who wins those games because it's a five-gamer. It's in New York. There's a doubleheader on Saturday. It is going to be uh, high profile, let's just say. So circle that one, August 4th through 7, uh, up in, up in, up in, uh, formerly Shea stadium, no longer, no longer Shea stadium, but still. Yeah. City field. Haven't been city, yet. city field. Looks never been there, nice. driven by it, never been inside. So yeah. there you go. It's kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. It kind of, yeah, it's not down the street. Um, being <laughs> right next to the you know biggest city or whatever. Despite so, being yeah. in New York. Yeah. Um, all right, Scott. Well, thank you for all the time on this Saturday. Uh, you were accommodating me because I am traveling on Sunday, which is why this podcast is happening late on Saturday. It's about to be midnight Eastern. So I am, uh, of course, on coffee and adrenaline at this point. But <laughs> thank you for joining me, my friend. Anything to plug? I don't know if you've been writing recently, but uh, we've been writing a lot. Um, when I say we, I don't mean me, but the the site has been producing lots of content at batterypower.com, but um, please plug anything you'd like. Yeah, be sure to check out the site over the next week and a half or two, or really just in general, but especially as trade deadline season ramps up, if it is out there, you will be assured that we will be writing about it. Uh, keep an eye on the draft tracker as well. There's a pretty cool article that's residing on the front page of batterypower.com, keeping track of Uh, players who have signed whether they're above slot below slot all of those good things and yeah it's a fun time of year you get the trade deadline you get the second half of the year firmly now I think what do we have like 65 70 games left to go Um, it's going to be fun this is a really really good Braves team a team that's just firing on all cylinders and some big games on the horizon so thank you everybody for tuning in and should have plenty of good stuff to talk and write about over the next couple of months Absolutely. The Braves at this recording are 58 and 38, a heck of a run over about eight weeks. And we covered that in detail on this show, but there'll be more to come. One more plug on the podcast network. We have four shows operating in unison. We have this show, the flagship battery power podcast, usually some combination of myself, Scott and Eric Cole. Then we have the daily hammer with Sean Coleman, which is a more of a bite-sized show 
four or five times a week. We have a newly developed podcast with Stephen and Chris Willis on this feed, more of a big picture, kind of one or two topic kind of show. And then we have the minor league side with Road to Atlanta guys, Eric, Garrett, etc. Uh, we are covering it all for you in the same place. So please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or Stitcher. Wherever you like to listen to podcasts, we should be there. If we're not there, let me know that. I will get it rectified for you. Leave five-star ratings and reviews, all that fun stuff as well. Thanks to Scott for joining me as always. We'll see you all next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts.